Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and video show which brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. If you're new to the channel, please subscribe so you won't miss a new episode. I'm your host, Fritz Bussemaker, and today I'm delighted and privileged to have a conversation with Sam Pedroda. Sam, welcome to the show. Thank you, Fritz. Thank you very much. Allow me to briefly introduce Sam Pedroda if I can actually do that briefly. Uh, he's a telco, telecom engineer who became the father of India's computer and IT revolution, an internationally respected development thinker, telephone, uh, telecom investor, and entrepreneur. He's been credited for having laid the foundation uh, for India's technology and telecommunications revolution in the 1980s. He was the chairman of India's knowledge, uh, National Knowledge Commission, has over 100 patents, including the invention of the electronic diary, Numerous awards and recognitions, including 20 honorary PhDs, and is currently chairing five NGOs. And he's also an author of the book, Redesigned the World, which we're going to talk about today. So again, Sam, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome. And reading up on your background, uh, I understand that your path which led you to do something about India's mobile network was actually based on a personal experience. Is that right? A little background. I was born and raised in a small little tribal village in India. Mm -hmm. No electricity, no water, no phone, no nothing. I was born in British Raj in 1942. Went to school in a Gandhian environment. Did my degree in physics and one day read in the newspaper that President Kennedy has decided to send man on to the moon. So I decided to come to America. Mm -hmm. This was 1964. I took a boat from Mumbai to Karachi, to Aden, to Egypt, to Italy. Took a train from Italy to London, took a plane from London to New York and a bus from New York to Chicago. This was 57 years ago. Why, why did you end in Chicago? Why was that the journey? I had no idea, but I got an admission in Chicago at a university called Illinois Institute of Technology. I was young, energetic, but completely ignorant about the world in America. I came here because I had an admission in a college. Studied here, had a girlfriend in India, called her, got married here, and set up my life here. Built businesses here, mm -hmm. sold businesses. And when I made my little bit of money in the beginning, I was 38 years old. I'd sold a company to Rockwell International for $50 million then. I had a small piece of it. And... Uh, Went to India to show my parents Taj Mahal and couldn't make a phone call to my wife. Phones did not work in 1979, in 1980 in India. India had 2 million phones for 650 million people. So I decided that I'm going to spend my time focusing on fixing communication in India because I was convinced that connectivity is going to be the key to India's future because of a very diverse society, 
very complex in terms of language, culture, diversity. So I, by, you know, through connections connected with the Prime Minister of India and got an opportunity to work in 80s on telecom and IT. And that created huge infrastructure in India. Then India had 2 million phones. Today, India has 1.2 billion phones. Then India did not export any software. Today, India has $180, $200 billion worth of software industry every year. That's quite and a it has transformed India. So I think connectivity has been the key to my own journey, my own experiences. You know, Transistor was born after I was born. So I've seen a revolution from vacuum tube to transistor, to microcircuits, to microprocessors, to software development. All of it, I've had an opportunity to be a party to it not as an observer, but as an active participant in the progress of technology and connectivity. You know, I tell people that of the 50 years I spent in telecom, for first 35 years, cost per line remained $1,100 a line. Then came mobile phone. But until then, we took 115 years to get to 1 billion telephones. Then when mobile telephony came, decentralization took roots and cost went down. When cost hit $100 a line, we added 7 billion phones in 15 years. So I think there are lessons to learn from the connectivity experience. Sam, if I may, um, this is, I would say, knowledge you can gain in hindsight. You see the effect of that increase in connectivity. But I also understand that you were uh, making a pitch to the Prime Minister Gandhi at the time, where you were an advocate, not just to um, start to implement the technology, but it's a tool for social change. Absolutely. Why? How did you realize it is a tool for social change when you needed to prove that? Because I realized that connectivity is important to everybody. Connectivity is not a luxury. It's a human necessity. A lot of migrant workers in India leave their parents, go off to other states to work and have no contact with their families. So connectivity is not just a tool for productivity, efficiency, cost reduction. It is also a tool for human needs, whether it has to do with health, education, cultural needs. I think people need to be in contact. And I was convinced that in India, connectivity is as important to rural areas as it is to urban areas. Earlier model was give telephone to somebody who can afford to buy. And my model was access to telephone is more important than owning a telephone. Give poor people access to telephone. And the difference was 
in the strategy, which focused on access to telecom, rural telecom, indigenous development, building of human capacity. Those were the key ideas then. And that led to uh, also in a situation where you uh, headed up um, uh, as an advisor of the Ministry of Rajiv Gandhi, uh, a, a couple of technology missions, not only on telecommunication, but also water literacy, immunization dairy, and uh, oil seeds. Yes. That sounds to me, because it was in the 1980s, this sounds to me like almost the SDGs, the Sustainability Development Goals, Avala Letra. Uh, Absolutely true. Absolutely true. Thank you for mentioning that. Very few people recognize that then our idea was to bring technology to solve the problems of the poor. See, world over, best brains are busy solving problems of the rich. Mm -hmm. As a result, problems of the poor don't get the right talent because it is not paying. So you get a great degree and do you work for Goldman Sachs mm -hmm. or a very famous consulting company. You get a degree in design and you go work for Cartier or Louis Vuitton. <clears throat> you don't solve the problems of the slum design. <clears throat> so our idea was to bring technology to improve literacy to improve immunization. <clears throat> then we started a program for vaccine production. Today, India is the largest producer of vaccine in the world. It was launched during Rajiv Gandhi era. People don't remember all these things. So the idea was to take technology into different areas. We are the largest producer of milk in the world mm -hmm. today. <clears throat> it started in 80s. So technology becomes an entry point to bring about generational change. Technology is just a tool, but that tool is used to solve the problems of the masses. Now, this reminds me of a quote you once, uh, or a statement you made during an interview at the World Economic Forum, where you said, all innovations are multidisciplinary and are faster than ever. This sounds to me very much like a singularity movement type of thinking. Uh, was that on your mind? No, I have experienced from my own journey that all innovations are multidisciplinary, happening faster than ever before, and also happens at the edge and not at the core. Mm -hmm. I think it's very important to understand that innovations happen at the edge. And that's why Apple was created, because IBM did not invent enough. That's how Microsoft was created. That's how Google was created. So I think innovations always happen at the edge. And I think it's important to recognize that the process of innovation is fairly complex. It requires right ecosystem, right platforms, right understanding, and different people have different ideas. Innovation is not about products and technology. You need social innovations. You need innovations in government. And that's the kind of attitude I had about innovation. I headed India's National Innovation Council. And the idea was to really encourage young people to think differently. You know, we all get locked up 
in a paradigm that we don't think outside that paradigm. And we assume that this is given. Now let's invent around the edges a little bit here and there. And we don't bring about generational change. So I think thinking about generational change <clears throat> requires different mindset. <clears throat> so far, you have described um, almost like uh, an evolutionary process, okay, a, a continuous innovation of the world, how we can improve the world in itself. But you recently wrote a book, Redesign the World. And if I read through that book, uh, it seems like there's something happening in your thinking about in this world where we really need to rethink how this world is organized and we need to reorganize it as far as you're concerned. Why did you write this book? I agree with what you said, Fritz. I was locked up like all of us at home in self-quarantine during COVID crisis. I had this idea in my mind for quite some time, but never had time to focus on it. I realized from my own journey that the world was last designed just about the time I was born. That design was led by US, which gave birth to UN, World Bank, IMF, NATO, WTO, WHO and focused on big measurements like GDP, GNP, per capita income, balance of payment. <clears throat> we all follow that design world over. And that design has done well for last 70 years. It has sort of delivered peace, not completely, but still Peace has prevailed. It has improved longevity, decreased infant mortality, <clears throat> lifted millions out of poverty. But it hasn't solved the problems of hunger, violence. And it has created huge environmental blunders. That design was based on democracy, human rights, capitalism, consumption, and military. Then world was bipolar. You had Soviet Union and you had US. For last 70 years, we have not created one new global institution. And I am saying it is about time to redo the whole thing. Yeah, that's one of your recommendations to redesign the world. You mentioned we need to create uh, new international institutes. What would the charter be of that institute, if you're allowed to set that up? First, we need to understand that the hyperconnectivity has changed our world completely. Hyperconnectivity is not about cost reduction, productivity, and efficiency. It is about taking humanity to the next level. It is not about business. It is about creating conditions for better life. And it is about improving our planet and improving our people. Unfortunately, hyperconnectivity is seen today only in terms of productivity and efficiency. 
Hyperconnectivity is changing education, health, governance, everything. But we are not prepared to change our architecture. Our architecture is still hierarchical, in silos, and that organizational architecture has to change completely to respond to hyperconnectivity. We need networking architecture. I very much relate to that statement as I myself talk a lot about the change from a command and control to a connect and collaborate society. Absolutely. However, what I see every time I talk about that, rationally, we, we know we're shifting into that new uh, era, but I continuously see that in a lot of cases, the people cannot keep up with that thinking because we've grown so much in this command and control thinking you need to be king of your empire uh now all of a sudden that as a vision as an, a, a desire uh, falls away so a lot of people are concerned and frustrated and it is because our basic design is obsolete and that's why i redesigned the world because the basic design doesn't work in a hyper-connected world that design did well but recognize that after 75 years, we need a new design. We can't have that design for 750 years. So this is a big event in the history of mankind. We are all connected today. Never happened before. What does this connectivity mean? Okay. This connectivity is all about democratization of knowledge, decentralization of decision-making and implementation demonetization of services. It is not about communication. It is about visuals, video. It is about all kinds of new technologies from you know, AI to robotics to IoT and all that, it is part of hyperconnectivity. Hyperconnectivity is not about just talking. I'm talking about hyperconnectivity in terms of a complex set of technologies which include machine learning and AI and all that. What do we do in a hyper-connected world? And I'm saying time has come for us to recognize that there are only two things that matter in life, planet and people. Planet doesn't need us, we need planet. We have really made a mess in the last 50 years because of the old design we have created the world which is no longer sustainable. Look at global warming. Climate change is a big issue. An impact of that on fires, on our forest, on our marine life, all that is a huge, huge concern. And no one is paying attention to it except giving a lot of lip service. You know, we had a meeting in Brazil and we had a meeting in, you know, Paris and we had a meeting in, you know, Kyoto and finally in Glasgow. Nothing happens because we are not focused on solving a global problem. We are all going there with a personal agenda, US agenda, Chinese agenda, Indian agenda. And we need to think of global agenda. Somebody needs to say, hey, I need to sacrifice for global good. And then we need to worry about people. We still have democracies which are not inclusive. You have Black Lives Matter in America. 
you have Dalits and untouchables and minorities in India. You're same in Europe in some extent. You're same in China. We got to realize that we are all human beings. It doesn't matter what our color is, what our religion is. We got to worry about lifting humanity to take us to the next level. And that cannot happen if there is inequality in the world. So the new paradigm that I have suggested is to take democracy to inclusion. Mm -hmm. Democracy is inevitable in a hyper-connected world. In the long run, people are going to be empowered. This is not a telephone. This is an instrument to empower me as an individual. And you have knee-jerk reaction today in the world with a lot of authoritarian governments coming forward because they are afraid that we are going to lose our control and people are going to be empowered. So we must build inclusive society everywhere. The border between you and me doesn't mean anything anymore. You know, I could be working in Amsterdam, living in Chicago, paying tax in some other country. What does it mean to have a digital citizenship? Okay. What does it mean to residency in a digital world? These are all the questions we haven't answered yet. So I would say first thing is to take democracy to inclusion. Then take human rights to human needs. We can produce anything today. We need to decide what is that we want to produce and for whom do we want to produce. Do we only want to produce for people who can afford to buy or we want to produce for people who need it? Today, we live in an economy of surplus and not economy of scarcity. But we think like we live in an economy of scarcity. Then we need new capitalism. The existing capitalism has not done well for large number of people. It has created inequality. Very few people own a lot of wealth and a lot of people don't have enough to live. Sam, what does that new, you talk about we need new capitalism. So what does that look like? To me, it looks like more focus on localization and not focus on globalization only for profits. You got to optimize not profit, but human benefits. If I have a factory here in Chicago and I can find it that taking it to China is going to be 10% savings, I can't just make that decision based on 10% saving. I got to worry about 5,000 people working in my factory here. What happens to them? Where will they go? So I think optimization of profit has to be seen in new light. It is more about optimization of environment. So it is not just GDP. It is also gross environmental product, gross human development product. We need new measurements. So my thesis is that we need to decentralize everything, localize as much as possible. We need to network small enterprises to scale and not big, massive, big plants. Okay. And you got to think very differently. You got to have a different architecture again, which is similar to what we learned in mobile telephony. 
Okay. What this now? I relate to this being an engineer myself, but this sounds like an engineer um, who's been working in the telco industry for over thirty years. Um, as a typical engineer, wants to know how it works and wants to find a solution. And to some extent, this also for me uh, reminds me of uh, for every uh, solution, a car, for, for, for every problem with a carpenter, the solution is a hammer. Uh, it sounds a little bit like, okay, for every problem we face today, the solution is hyperconnectivity. It's uh, is that well, I don't think background? solution is hyperconnectivity. Solution is people and planet. Okay. Hyperconnectivity is a tool. Okay. I want our air to be clean, our water to be pure. You know, you look at Delhi right now. Delhi is a very advanced city, but you can't breathe there. Okay. Is that the kind of development we want? Is that progress? So I am saying at the core of it, you got to worry about two things, planet and people. Everything else is irrelevant. Everything you do, you have to say, is it good for planet or bad for planet? Is it good for people or it is bad for people? Today, we don't ask that question. Today, we only ask, is it good for profit or not good for profit? Is a fundamental difference. Okay. okay. Yeah, got that. What has to change? Yeah. So coming back to the original idea that we want to change democracy to inclusion, take democracy, human rights to human needs, capitalism to new economy, and we also want to stop mindless consumption and think about conservation and sustainability. Sustainability is very important. Everything has to be sustainable. And then finally, I hope, which is a big demand, big tall order, is that we recognize that we as human beings have evolved to a point. We can sit across table and sort out our differences. We don't need to build weapons of mass destruction to sort our differences. That phase in the human history is over. Why can't we say we don't need $2 trillion defense industry? We need security. We need safety. Agree. But you don't need to spend $2 trillion every year to build weapons of mass destruction. Can we think of nonviolence? You know, I lived in Chicago for 57 years. Nothing has changed when it comes to violence on the street. 57 years. U.S. has the largest number of people in prison. Why? Why is that? Is that prosperity? Is that development? I think we need to change our paradigm. Our paradigm is military. Our paradigm is violence. We got to change that. And that's what the redesign is all about. It, it, this, this is going to be hard, but most of the time something good and desirable is hard to get. I was wondering, where do you draw your inspiration from? Do you have Gandhi. any poem? Yeah, sorry. Gandhi. Gandhi. Yes. So you, you you were very close to Gandhi. How was it to? No, that's a different Gandhi. I was very oh, close to Rajiv Gandhi. Yeah, yeah. The Gandhi that I talk about in my inspiration is Mahatma Gandhi. Okay. Yeah. Gandhi who led independence movement. I 
sort of derive my inspiration from him and from within. Inspiration has to come from within. Yeah. You, know? yeah. you do it because it needs to be done. Yeah. And did it rub off some, uh, somehow to the family uh, when you uh, were working with uh, the family? Gandhi family that I worked with is Rajiv Gandhi, Prime Minister. And then I worked with Dr. Manmohan Singh when he was Prime Minister for 10 years. But that's the political side. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about now a much larger picture. I'm talking about global challenge and not Indian challenge. I'm talking about challenge for the planet and for the people, humanity. India is a subset. Okay, there are lessons to learn from India. There are lessons to learn from Europe. There are lessons to learn from China and there are lessons to learn from America okay. and from Africa. Okay. So in, in that respect, uh, when you, you just uh, shared your vision, um, how does success uh, look like uh, from your perspective? Well, success at a personal level or success at a global level? Uh, both. Okay. Success at a global level would mean we build inclusive world. We build world where inequality is reduced. We build world where we pay more attention to health and human infrastructure and not weapons of mass destruction. We build a world where environment is improved substantially. Marine life is improved. Forests are improved. Animals are taken care of. And poverty is eliminated. Hunger is eliminated. Violence is reduced. That's the success at a global level. At a personal level, it's a journey. It's a journey which each one of us has to look at in our own term. So when you success are... to me is not about money. Okay. Success to me is about work, work that you enjoy. Success is about fulfillment. And success is about love. Is your family, friends love you, care for you? Success is about these three things. First love, then work, and then fulfillment. And then you think you're okay. You know, you don't have to be the richest man in the world. You don't have to be the great scientist in the world. It'd be nice, but that's not the goal in life. Goal in life is are you loved by your people around you? your family, your friends, your colleagues? Do you have interesting work so that when you get up in the morning, you want to go do something? And finally, are you fulfilled? Are you happy with yourself? That is success. That's a great way to look at success. Is that also how you would like to be remembered of somebody who has been successful in that sense? I don't think people remember enough so I'm not worried about how I would be remembered. Nobody's going to remember you anyway. So what difference does it make? But I want my children to say, I had a father I could look up to. That's good enough. That's more than success. If my children say, I had a father who was honest, who was sincere, who was hardworking, he loved everybody. He did what needed to be done. 
because they are the only one who will remember me. Others are not going to remember much. Maybe for five years, maybe for 10 years. You know, my grandchildren might someday say, hey, this is what my grandfather was. That's about it. You know, best of the best leaders are not remembered. Who am I? You know, so I don't worry about leaving legacy or anything. You know. Would that also be an advice you would give to young people starting off in their career? Don't look at how others perceive you, but look at yourself. I think my advice to younger generation is to build a good self. Many people don't pay attention to building a good self. Self that is disciplined, respectful, self that is analytical, self that is creative, self that believes in human values, self that has no egos, curbed ego, self that is humble, simple. So if I build a good self, then I don't need to worry about the world. You know, I don't need to compete with you. You're my friend. I need to enjoy my time with you. I may not be able to spend more time. But if I have two hours with you, I want to make best out of it. Because in this journey, we may never connect again. So I think building a good self, a self that is respectful of others, is very important. We tend to teach people how to compete, how to control. We teach people wrong things. In business schools, we teach them more about how to extract value as opposed to create value. I want people to create value for others as well, not just for me. You know, if I create value for others, I will get value out of it. So I think you need a different outlook. And we have come to a point in our civilization where everybody is only after money. Everybody wants instant gratification. People lie, people cheat, people manipulate. And I think that is going to hurt all of us in the long run. It is time for us to rethink through the paradigm. And with hyperconnectivity, I think we can expand our knowledge, improve our richness and reach. And we must focus on using hyperconnectivity to take human civilization to the next level and not use hyperconnectivity to perpetuate the existing values. That's the main concern to me. Hyperconnectivity is not about making more billionaires, taking more wealth from country A to country B, being more powerful. It is about being more human. It's about really improving our planet. And that requires people to think very differently. That's all. You know. Well, I do hope that with your book and your thoughts on redesign the world, you can make it happen. Well, we need people like you to communicate. I'm just one individual. I cannot do much. I know my limitations. But I can begin a new conversation. 
I can't change the world. I am not capable. But Sir. I still want to have a new conversation with people like you, so we can think differently. Sam, let's join forces because in this connect and collaborate world, we do need to work together on this. Absolutely, Fritz. I'm always available. I appreciate what you do. And I think we need more people like you to do what you do. And we need in every country a champion of what you do. So it's not just, you know, in your part of the world. We need you to reach out to other parts of the world. And thank you for what you do. Really appreciate it. Sam Pedroda, thank you so much for this uh, discussion, this talk, your feedback, your insights. And uh, thank you. You're welcome. And we can have more conversations whenever you are up to it. Okay. We will. Thank okay. you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast platform that brings you knowledge, experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for the brand called You.